the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, June 5th. It's part two of our two Mini Break Monday where we're catching up on everything that's unfolded thus far at the 2023 French Open. Of course, as I alluded to on part number one, the quarterfinals are now set in both the men's and women's singles draws. And if you're looking for my thoughts on the men's quarterfinals, I can point you to two different places. One would, of course, be just scroll down on your Mini Break podcast feed. You can hear, I believe, 50 minutes of my unfiltered thoughts on all four of the matchups, what a victory scenario looks like for each of the eight remaining men's singles competitors, All of those thoughts littered throughout part one of today's two mini break podcast episode series. Of course, if you want to hear a conversation, you can go hear me chat with our dear friend Gil Gross over on his show, Monday Match Analysis, which you can find on his YouTube channel or wherever you listen to your podcast. That said, I have yet to offer my thoughts on the women's quarterfinal matches. And as I alluded to in part one of our episodes here today, I love all eight of our quarterfinals. I think you could make a compelling case that all eight matches have some storyline for tennis fans to grasp onto. Now, you already hear a disagreement (laughs) in the background. And again, I thought you were going to say something else. Well, (laughs) I think all eight have a shot to win, and that's not true. (laughs) Well, we'll get to that here on today's show. And joining me, as you can tell, to help preview all of our four women's quarterfinal matches and catch up on everything that's unfolded at this 2023 Roland Garros as it relates to the women's singles draw is a man we have not had on this show in far too long, but is a man who must be described as a returning champion here on our Crack Rackets podcast, a man who hopefully you've been reading throughout the course of this 2023 French Open, whether it be his work for the Action Network, of course. You can also read him at other times all over the place across the tennis universe. It's our dear friend, David Gertler, joining us today. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I actually revitalized my blog while you were doing your college stuff. I did an article on Calvin Emery after his big win over his only, I believe it was around four hours over Lexi, your guy, Lexi Gellarneau. Um, And uh, so I actually revitalized my blog, but hold on. I was going to say this before we started, but now I said, let's wait till we start. How, I know this is men's, but how about my guy, Tomas Echeverri, blitzing through the draw? I have a lot of Echeverri thoughts. I shared them earlier. I I was going to ask you at the end of the show, but let's do this now because I do want to get your men's thoughts at some point here today. We can just do it at the start. I said this in my preview podcast. I'm curious if you agree. Of the four quarterfinal matchups, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, Hachinov, Djokovic, Runa, Rude, Zverev, Echeverri, the match I'm least certain of what it's going to look like is Echeverri, Zverev. Because I agree with you. Like Tomas Martin Echeverri is just the real deal. And the way I tried to simplify it for listeners is he goes about attacking people, in my opinion, from the same court positions with the same shot selections. Not saying the shots look the same, but it's very similar to me as how Casper Ruud goes about attacking people on a clay court. And I'm curious what you think of that take, my assessment of Echeverry, and just your entire thoughts on the French Open men's singles draw. That is very interesting. I never thought of it like that. 
But yeah, I can see that totally. The way that he constructs points where he always seems to have the ball in his forehand wing and how he, you know what, he's he's more, at least nowadays, he's a little more, I think, aggressive than Rude. Uh, I think that he, I think Rude over at least this year has gotten a little passive, especially with, uh, I think that he can go bigger on his forehand. Echeverry is firing from his forehand wing and his backhand. It actually did not look great in a challenger in the warmup. He lost to Ugo Umber in, I believe it was in the Bordeaux final, but this week he, he hasn't lost a set in large part because his backhand is not broken down at all. Uh, it has been super impressive in terms of which ones have the most uncertainty. I would say yes. Tied. I would say, I think Echeverry wins. I think Echeverry beats Vera. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm a little biased, but I, you know, I'm not going to write that one off. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm biased. But I, I think that Rude Rune also has a lot of uncertainty, just because I was gung ho, gung ho, whatever the saying is, on um, Holger winning, and then today the fitness issues started up again, and it's like, can he handle another physical? four or five set match. I don't know, to be honest. And let me just give you a hot take. I think Kachanov has a shot tomorrow. I really do. Uh, Karen Kachanov, he's always at the end of majors quietly, right? He was in the semifinals. Six of seven. Last only guy on the ATP tour to make the quarterfinals or further at the last three majors. He's also made six of seven fourth rounds or further at the French. I didn't realize it was that good. Wow. Yeah, uh, he's really good at majors. He holds now, seed every time. I mean, I think that he's going to make it very physical with Djokovic. I, you know, I don't think that Djokovic has looked, and no, he hasn't dropped a set. He hasn't really been challenged at all. We, Alex Kovacevic, I love his game on quicker surfaces. He's a, I like him so much. I don't even like saying this. He's not, he's not a clay quarter at all, to put it nicely. Um, you know, Fuksovic doesn't, you know, he challenged him for a set. That's all you're really going to expect. Davidovich Fokina actually played him much tougher than I expected him to play because he doesn't have the weapons at all that can hit, that can, you know, really do what Kachanov did in Paris Masters a few years ago. Just use that big serve and forehand to punish Djokovic, which not a lot of players can do. And Varias just doesn't have the backhand and he just played too much tennis. And let's be honest, if you're getting Kovacevic, Fuksovic, Davidovic, Fokina, Varias to major quarterfinal, that's kind of like Coco's Coco golf straw on the women's side. Very easy. I mean, are those your takes? Uh, you didn't offer uh, me anything Alcaraz, Tsitsipas. Oh, wanna... Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, that'll be a blowout. Alcaraz? I mean, I do think that Tsitsipas, like when I was watching the way that Tsitsipas hit the forehand against Ofner the other day, I was like, just the way he, just the ball explodes off the racket, the way, I think he's actually hitting the backhand. He's been hitting the background with, backhand with the exception of his Rome match against um, Medvedev. He's hit that backhand really well on clay lately. Um, I remember remember watching him against Chorich and just being like, wow, like that is Chorich kept going in Rome. Chorich kept going for his backhand side, Alex. And he was not, he was, he was smoking the ball from that wing into precise targets. Um, you know, again, now talk about another play that really hasn't been challenged that much. Vesely in the first round that, you know, big hitting lefty 
that was a big test. But since then, Tobias Bayana doesn't have the weapons. Schwartzman, I'm so proud of Diego for making the third round and coming back from 2 <laughs> down in the first, against the Pata Morales, but he doesn't have the weapons. Ofner doesn't have the rally tolerance or backhand. Alcaraz is a f***ing animal. Um, he is just, you know, with... I mean, I thought that Lorenzo Massetti could take him to five sets. I was the, I was a fool. Um, mm-hmm. Just does not have many weaknesses. The only thing that you can say without him at times is he does lose patience and goes too much on the forehand, you know. But man, I've seen this matchup now. How many times have we seen it? Uh, Alcaraz four times, four times, and it's gotten four zero Alcaraz. Yes, and you know, I throw out Alcaraz since he passed it. U.S. Open 2021 because Alcaraz isn't the Alcaraz that we are seeing now. That was five setter. I expect it to be very similar to Rome, where it was. It's just a straightforward affair. Just because at the end of the day, Sitsipas, the way that like he beat Offner is he took him off of the baseline and he was the one dictating. He's not going to be able to do that. And, and Carlos, when he is, Carlos's defense is way too good and his counter punching and the shot make. I can, I could talk all day. Like, about- well, look, there's a lot I agree with you. There's some things I disagree. For listeners who want to hear more on that, check out part well, one. Where do you disagree? I, we don't have to talk about it. I'm just curious. Well, I think Alcaraz is uh, – excuse me. Tsitsipas' servant forehand are good enough to do some dictating against Alcaraz. Okay. Is he going to have to win at least one breaker to win the match? Absolutely. Is he serving well enough to do it? Absolutely. The problem is where we agree mostly structurally, Alcaraz is just built to beat Tsitsipas the way Nadal was built to beat Federer. It's the same matchup. I see it the same way. It's just on this surface. It's really, really tough. Um, As for the others, why I I think I know what Runa Rude's going to look like. I think the outcome is unpredictable. I think I know what the points, how they're going to play out. Yeah. Um, there. Hatchinov's been unreal for six months. He's been I the the joke I told is everything Karen Hatchinov's been on paper, he's actually been on court these last six months. Like it's no longer just on paper. He's been that good. Yeah. But it's <laughs> Novak. And like I need to see he's someone beat it Novak before I believe it. Play with Gil Gross was talking about this in his preview. How is the time went on his you know, or do you trust him in physical matches with his well, elbow to go the I, distance? I do. And again, I not only talked about it with Gil on Monday Match Analysis, and I apologize for being curt here, but I talked about this in part one. And so I know people are going to be like, it's the women's quarterfinal preview. And you spend the first seven minutes on the men's side. Any other, do you want to give me a prediction? Who wins the men's draw? Who wins? So I had Medvedev before the tournament. That was a <laughs> disaster. Um, <laughs> you know, I had Alcaraz in the final. Um, I'm going to go with Alcaraz. Um I I think I had Alcaraz. I don't know who I had. I think it was either it was either Alcaraz or Djokovic. I have Alcaraz. I have him beating. Uh, I guess um, I guess I really want to say Etcheberry, but I'm worried that's too biased. I'm going to say Casper Rude just because I love Rune. He, but I just don't trust him physically. All right, I think that's a fair answer, and that's where we will leave things on the men's side now. Again. Appreciate your thoughts, as always. That's why I love having you on the show. Have to get into it. And, you know, again, 
I think the Stephen A. take right now is that men's tennis, like, eh, I don't know how interesting it is. Like, it gets interesting now because now all the battles are between players who I do think belong in this top eight clay court conversation, even Echeverry with the track record. So I think that would be the first take take. I think the the take on the women's side is that the quarterfinals are just fantastic. And obviously— uh, t- Tomorrow's. Oh, I— I think all of them are fun matchups, and we can get into why they are all fun in a moment, of course, before we do. A shout-out, as always, to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com, for all the latest and greatest equipment. Find it at the best prices as well. You go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off all sale items, you'll get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. David Gertler, what are you rocking on court nowadays? Give me the racket shoe combination. So I have a Babolat. Um, I have Rafa's racket, not actually Rafa's racket, but like, you know, the Rafa Pro or Drive or whatever it is. So what, so I'm very much a, I do the same thing. So like I got the same car, like I got, when I got a new car, I got the exact same car as before. When I get a new tennis racket, I get the new version of Rafa's racket that I had when I was starting out. No, I... I actually got this one for graduation, uh, which I'm very <laughs> for my college graduation because it was pretty pricey. Uh, so I'm happy I got it for that. Um, but I really love it because my strings too are for control, so I can you know do the long rallies and my moon balls and my all sorts of my junk that uh, I'd love to play you one day actually. But wow. in the shoes, when I'm on hard courts, I just use regular shoes. But when I'm on clay courts, to be honest, I don't remember the brand. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Well, with that said, again, if you need to get updated, tennis-point.com, that's the place for you. Best equipment, best prices. I think I'm going to make a racket switch as yeah, but we'll climb that mountain a different day. I'm not quite ready to go all the way there. So we'll we'll climb that. Uh, we'll focus on that, I suppose, at a different time. With that said, let's lock in. French Open, women's singles quarterfinal preview. Again, we're going to go through all four matches, talk about what a win would look like for all eight of these remaining players, offer the stats, the tactical advantages, and then, of course, a prediction on how we each see things folding, unfolding. We'll start at the top of the draw. That's a lie. We're going to go reverse order. We're going to go bottom to top of the draw because chronologically it's that bottom half of the draw that plays first. Let's start with white might just be the most interesting of the four matches, in my opinion, in Anastasia Pavlochenkova, who, of course, is your 2021 French Open finalist. She's taking on a Karolina Mukva, who, yes, hasn't been a big part of the narrative these past two and a half, three COVID, you know, this COVID stretch, as I like to call it, dating back to August 2020. But a lot of that has been injury related. And you look at what Karolina Mukova has accomplished here this season, perhaps most notably, she's 16th in the points race. She's top 20, according to Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings. I mean, both of these players, impressive victories on their way to this quarterfinal battle and you know, you look overall just to get to the head-to-head between these two, Pavlochenkova 2-1 to one in the career head-to-head. Now, obviously, Pavlochenkova, I believe, what, I want to say five years? Yeah, Mukova senior, and so that perhaps makes sense given when some of their earlier matches was uh, were. 2021, but, that's not that long ago. Well, but still, again, Mukova in 2021 is what, 24, 25 years old, depending on what it may be. The point is, 
you, yeah. you're right. It's not the biggest gap, but Pavlochenkova, two and one in the career head to head. They've only played on clay once. It was a Pavlochenkova six and six win in Madrid back in 2021. Let's start on the Pavs side of the equation because she is the one who has made a French Open final before. Now, you can throw out a lot of the pre-tournament data on Pavlochenkova, who didn't yep. play at all in the back half of last season due to injuries. And, you know, again, this year, yes, she's 12-9 and nine overall, but look at what she's done on her way to these French Open quarterfinals. Wins over Fruvertova in straights, three sets over Samsonova, three sets over Potapova, three sets over Elisa Mertens, who I thought was playing really well also. Potapova's been tested in every match she's played. Pavlochenkova. Thank you. Pavlochenkova has been tested in every match that she's played. Again, that is an impressive pathway to get here. What has impressed you the most about uh, the former French Open finalist? What do you think a victory for her looks like tomorrow? Yeah, I, when I thought that when I when I saw that she was just absolutely annihilating Sarah Arani in Rome, I was like, okay, she might be back. And then she got double bageled by <laughs> by Spiatek. And then it's like, Okay, maybe not. I don't know because uh, it's hard to tell when Kisbiatek has bakery products against almost anyone on clay on tour. Sure. Um, I gotta say though, the way that she's hitting the ball this week, there was a time in the third set against Mertens where she hit like two or three forehand winner returns in a row, and I was just like, "Holy sh! She is." Back and this was why she made the French Open final in the first place. Um, really tough. You mentioned really tough road. I mean, Samsa Samsonova can hit the cover off the ball. And she was down 5-2 in the third in that match. Yep. And then she was uh, down a set to Potapova. She was down a set and a point away from down a double break against Mertens. She is battle-tested. She is mentally tough. She is the, you know, she's a veteran player who is, Really just, I mean, the fact that she's gotten back to this level this quickly because you know, she didn't come back that long ago. Um, and, you know, it was not that long ago in the uh, W80 in Zarzagoa, uh, Zaragoza, excuse me, that she was losing in straight starunks to roots. So uh, that was in uh, April. So, it was, you know, less than two months ago. Um, and just to see how her level has risen, um, the ball striking, um, um, the serve, you know, is it's not like she has Samson of a serve, um, big serve. Um, but in terms of just the baseline ball striking and the way that she can take the racket of her opponent's hands, you know, she left both Potapova and uh, Murden's powerless. Fruvertova too, just powerless. And the thing about Mukova is that she's playing. She's been playing in the past two rounds players where she's been in Avanesian and Begu, where she's been able to dictate and be on the front foot. And this is going to be a very different match for her. That's exactly it. It's that Pavlochenkova has few power. Like, I don't know how else to say it. She takes the racket out of her opponent's hands, as you mentioned. And just watching her drive backhands through the court, God, is it delightful. And that down-the-line backhand in particular, that's a ball she's going to have to hit well against Mukva, who is really athletic is comfortable yes. moving forward, is comfortable in the corners, slides into her shots. And we'll get into the Mukova side of the equation in a second because I think the case for her making uh, uh, her winning tomorrow's match is honestly easier to make. 
Um, but her forehand gets a little bit big on that backswing. And Pavlochenkova with the line drive tennis she's capable of playing, like she can get that ball into Mukova's body, make it so that Mukova isn't able to time things as cleanly on that wing. Similarly, while the backhand's condensed, it's played a little close to the body. And that ball's a little bit harder to have uh, handle when it comes in with the pace that Pavlochenkova provides it. Now, you mentioned the serve. She can't be hanging first serves because if she yeah. is, Mukova is playing too well. She's returning too well. And then Mukova is on her front foot. And as you mentioned, we see how good Mukova is on her front foot. We've seen it all tournament long. Pavlachenkova has disruption power. And she's been striking the ball well enough to where I think absolutely, like if she continues to play with this sort of freedom and this loosely, I know she was outside the top 300. That's only because she's been injured and hasn't played. We know what her level is, and we've seen that all tournament long. My biggest concern is how much is left in the tank. Like three consecutive set from behind, three set wins for someone who has played 21 matches this year but still doesn't quite have the match legs probably under her. Like that is my concern is will she have enough time to get to that ball, to be the aggressor, to be on her front foot because – Mukova is already good enough at pushing you on your back foot. Like she'll have opportunities to do that anyways. But if Pavlochenkova is at all fatigue and she has that many more, that much more of an opportunity to do so, that's where Mukova strikes. I I don't know any any. I guess that's sort of segueing into the Mukova side of the argument. You shook your head when I said I think the case for Mukova to win is pretty easy to make. Why did you do so? Maybe that was uh, subconscious. Um, okay. <laughs> no, you Here's, should never. I, you know, the thing about Mukaba is that she's had some – Can I just say there's nothing I like more than when you begin a sentence with the thing about because I just never know where you're going to go. And so please, <laughs> I never know. I never the know thing about Mukaba is what, David Gertler? <laughs> is that this tournament she has had some mental lapses, whether it be – her second set against Podoroska, where she was bageled, um, whether it be in the Avanesian, am I pronouncing that right? It's good enough. Avanesian match. There were plenty of times. So she was up five two in this in the first set. She gave it. She made it closer. Five. It was six four. Mental lapse. She was up four one. Then she gave it back. Then she gave a break back. She was up five two. She gave the a break back. There are these moments, and even early in the set, when uh, she was allowing Avanesian to hang around, um, I would say also even in the Sakar- in the Sakari match, um, she served for the first set, broken. There's just these moments where she's almost, and, I, and a commentator was talking about this, where she's almost so talented that she doesn't know what sh- shot to employ. Um, and it just sometimes feels like she can get a little care out there um i want to say also that um yeah so like for instance sakari and Podoroska were able to kind of rush her a little bit at times with their forehands um you know playing that power tennis that a little bit more powerful than at least begu and avanesian um where like i said before mukova was able to just have time on her variety you know where she's just able to move the ball around the court wait out points and then eventually uh, hit winners into targets. I don't think she's going to be able to do that again. I think that the reason that Bedosa was able to beat her in Rome was because Bedosa started hitting her forehand bigger than I had seen from Paula in a while. Um, 
And even Camila Georgie in Rome was up. Uh, she was up 5-1 in the first set and had, I want to say, let's see, six, seven set points um, in the first set. Uh, and so I think that the way to beat Mukova is to not is to force her to play more defense, um, to work her legs a little more, to not allow her to be the one in charge of points. And so that's why I think that Pavlyuchenkova is a tougher matchup for her than Murden's would have been. Uh, who, where uh, I think that Mukova would have been able to dictate a little more. Um, well, I think all that is fair. And I think that is the case for Pavlachenkova. The question is, A, how fit is she to pull That's that off? Question. And you mentioned it. You know, for Mukova, first of all, straight set went over Sakari, three sets over Podoroska, straight sets over Begu and Avanesian. I think you mentioned it. Like, in your critique of Mukova, you complimented her. She can hit every shot in the books. Like, down the line, short angle cross, slice, drop shot, volleys, overhead. She can do a little bit of everything. And sometimes that's to her detriment as much as it is to her benefit because as much as she can do B, C, and D, what's A, the thing that can get her through now in this tournament, when she's wanted to hold serve, she has been able to hold serve. And she is good enough at creating space for herself and moving forward that even in these slow conditions, she's putting every ball away that she wants to put away. Now, you're right. Pavlochenkova has bigger weapons than what Mukova has seen thus far. That said, you could offer the exact same counter back to Mukova has bigger weapons than what Pavlochenkova has dealt with. And you just wonder with the serve and how well Mukova— Sam Sonova? Sam Sonova? Uh, yeah, but it's a, I guess it's a difference. Here's the thing. Mukova is going to throw slices at you. She's going to throw short angle at you. She's just going to force Pavlochenkova to be stretched in a way that maybe Pavlochenkova hasn't so far in this event and in a combination of not just the pace but the the variety as well and again Mukva is better rested she's had the better year yeah. she's 23 and 7 yeah. overall she's one of 10 players ranked top 25 in both hold and break percentage which matches what I've seen with my eyes and this is like this would be the exclamation point. We've been waiting for the big breakthrough because she's been on the precipice. Quarterfinals Indian Wells, quarterfinals Dubai. You know, uh, a round of sixteen in Rome before the three set loss to Bedosa. We haven't had the signature run in this post injury comeback for Carolina Mukova. Well, now Mukova's up to number twenty seven. Another win, she's all the way up to number twenty, and you're just back in the race, and you're back in the thick of things. And I like it's a narrative thing, but I just think she's playing well enough to do it. I think Pavlochenkova has had her run. Like I think she's played really good tennis, but she's been surviving these last three matches. If you're asking me to make the prediction, I just think the Mukova weapons, the variety, it will do enough to throw Pavlochenkova off kilter that she will not be able to execute. And that's why I'm taking Mukova to advance in this match. What's your prediction and final thoughts? So I do want to say just this, that... Pavlyuchenkova Potapova was a three-set match. It was less than two hours, though. Um, okay. So I don't, you know, that's different than her, the ones that are on the outside, uh, the Samsonova and Murdens, which are both over three hours. Um, I think that um, I wrote this one up in Action Network. I think Pavlyuchenkova keeps it close, but I have, um, I think she keeps it very close. I think Mukova might edge it out in a tight three-setter. 
All right, there we go. We're both but going I Mukova. Really like Pavel. I really like what I've seen from Anastasia. Uh, it doesn't take away from her tournament. Uh, any yeah. to, to say Mukova advances, but that will be our pick for the first semifinalist. Of course, the winner of that match will face the winner of Sabalenka and Svitolina. And look. What I think is so fascinating right now is how much certainty there is at the top of the women's game. And I know Rabakina was forced to withdraw to, uh, from this event due to a virus, but her, Sabalenka, Sviantek are just so clearly the three best women's players in the world. And it's really fun to see the level all three of them are playing, how they all keep managing to one-up one another and what it's setting up for in these Grand Slam events where it does feel like they are on a collision course and Certainly, Arena Sabalenka, even if she hasn't played her best tennis, she has played the part of front runner in this uh, French Open thus far. You look for Sabalenka, straight set wins over Kostyuk, uh, Shimanovic, Rakimova, and then from five love up, seven, six, six, four win okay. over Sloane Stevens to get to the quarterfinals. You know, not only do you have that fact for Sabalenka, the fact that she is facing someone in Elena Svitolina, who's played a lot of tennis now consecutively, and I know Svitolina won the tournament the week before the French Open, but obviously now that means it'll be a third consecutive week of play here for Elena Svitolina. Of course, you look for Sabalenka, even through the five love from their struggles against Stevens, it's the fact that she's gotten through every match in straight sets. It's the fact that the set in 5-4 or 5-3 down scenarios that used to plague her a year and a half ago, they just don't happen anymore here in 2023. And Sabalenka now 33-5 overall on the year, David. By the way, I haven't given these out just to uh, catch up. Mukova minus 180 favorite according to DraftKings over Pavlachenkova according to Tennis Abstract. Mukova 58% favorite in this matchup. Uh, Tennis Abstract has Sabalenka as a 77% favorite. DraftKings has Sabalenka as a minus 450 favorite. What's the? I mean, I think the case for Sabalenka is pretty easy to make, David. DK, uh, David Gertler. But what? I mean, well, well, hold on. What, what? Let me finish this question quickly. Okay. What is your confidence level in her right now? Not high at all. Did you see her against Stevens? <laughs> she was terrible. Yeah, but she, well, she was the five love wasn't terrible. I, that was all Stevens. Her footwork was That's terrible. Stevens was fair. mentally unengaged. She was terrible. Stevens was terrible to five love. As soon as Stevens turned it on, it was a it was a war. Um, and I. And I would say that Sabalenka, I would say that the energy that Stevens put in, having to come back from 5-0 down and getting up a mini break in the tie break, I believe twice. I think she might have even been up 5-4 with serve. I mean, serving for 7-4. That took its toll towards the end of the match, and she just couldn't maintain it um, in that second set, uh, even though she was right there. Um, I think that uh, Sabalenka hit 40 unforced errors in two sets. Against uh, Stevens, that's not going to cut it. Uh, against Vitalina, who I think has better footwork, better intensity, and I think can play offense a little better than Sloan, than at least Sloan did against um, uh, Sabalenka. This is the same Sabalenka that lost to Sophia Kennan uh, in uh, Rome. I believe has has Kennan even won a match since then? Um, on, I don't. I don't think she. She lost to Kalanina. She lost in first round of Roland Okay, but this is the uh, same qualifier. Sabalenka that beat Iga Swiatek on clay. So that that's on, anything. That, that is on Madrid altitude. That's altitude clay. Um, that's still, different for me. Still counts. That, that in Stuttgart. Still it counts, but her. it doesn't matter. Uh, if, that's true. You're wrong, but carry on. 
Um, I don't think I, I, I don't trust Sabalenka on slow clay is what my hypothesis is. Um, I think nine of her wins this year, we can talk about her win. I think she's what, like 13 and two this year, but nine of them are on in Stuttgart and um, Madrid, who I, I really don't think mimic the conditions at Roland Garris at all. I thought that she lacked patience against Stevens. I thought that, um, and I thought that, and I think that in terms of fatigue, the fact that you're only playing best of three with days off in between every time does play a role. Um, does play? I do don't. I don't think on the women's side it's as big of a factor nearly as the men's. Um, I think that uh, Blinkova, uh, like that was a three setter. Storm Hunter, that was a three setter for Spitalina. But I, I, but those matches were both less than two point five hours. Uh, she lost one set in Strasbourg, and she also had a. Um, walkover so she only played two four seven nine sets over that entire week um and she lost in the first round of rome so she had no tennis before that um i just feel like this is a good mat good matchup for uh spitalina to potentially win um the head-to-head is one one it doesn't really matter because that was a different version of sabalenka I agree. I just don't, I didn't like what I saw from Sabalenka. And I think that she was untested. She's been untested until that point. I mean, Shimanovich and Rocky Mova in the second and third round, that is about as easy as you can ever get, especially for a big ball striker. Um, and Costa, you kid herself out of that first round match. So for me, Stevens was the first test and I didn't like how she looked. And so I'm not, I would not have it at 77% confidence. I wouldn't have her as an underdog, but I would have her as, you know, maybe 65, 70. Through all of that, how many sets has she lost at this event so far? None. But if she lost a set to Rocky Mova and Shimanovich, I would say pack it up. Okay, but she hasn't. Not a single set's been lost. So you're not saying pack it up. And that's the thing is even through she's not playing her best, she's still getting through these matches comfortably. And... I mean, I just disagree with your assessment of every result we saw in Madrid. I agree things are much faster in Stuttgart than they are here at Roland Garros, but who's the only player on the court who has power to hit through every or one of the few players who has power to hit through every surface? It's Serena Sabalenka, who she was missing gimmies against Sloane Stevens, but the opportunities were all there and they were within her game. And again, it was like the backhand down the line she missed on that break point early in the second set or, you know, again, all the errors from Five Love Up that started to filter in as well. I don't think she's played particularly well. And yet here she is in the quarterfinals with three unseeded players and three players outside the top 35 and Mukova, Pavlochenkova, and Svitolina remaining. Like if you're Rina Sabalenka, you have played four matches. You have played the bare minimum, eight total sets. You haven't played your best tennis, but you haven't peaked yet either, nor have you needed to. I think Sabalink is feeling fine heading into this quarterfinal match. Now, here's the thing. She's facing a Svitolina who's played some really good ball down the home stretch or just over the course of the past three weeks. And you mentioned, you know, again, in Strasbourg, she drops just one set, you know, the straight set win over Daria Kasatkino and more broadly in that match, every match, I just think there's a little more sting on the Svitolina ground strokes than there once were. I think she's a little more aggressive out of those corners than she once was. That said, you look for Svitolina 
12 and 6 overall here in 2023. She's played a lot of matches. She has not faced someone who hits the ball as big and brings the sort of aggression, point in, point out, shot in, shot out, that Arena Sabalenka brings. And that is the other argument in favor of, of Arena Sabalenka is as good as Fidelina has been on the comeback tour, she's faced a lot of good players. She hasn't faced a top dog yet. And it takes some adjusting to get ready to that pace and adjusted to that pace, uh, get ready for and adjusted to the pace of Arena Sabalenka. I just think, again, all these factors and that she hasn't played her best yet, this could be the match where she wakes up. And I think that's the the most plausible scenario I see unfolding. But you seem pretty confident in Svitolina, so make the case. I mean, no, 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 no. I just think No, that pretty I, confident that she's going to make this match competitive. I'm yes, saying what yes. are the things she's going to do? That's what I meant. I was surprised given her – given um, Sabalenka's – what I saw from Sabalenka's level – against Stevens that she was a similarly sized favorite against Svitolina, given what I've seen over the past three weeks from Svitolina. I would also say that, look, before the tournament, I was saying that for futures, that Sabalenka is a good pick because she is the second, you know. Yeah, and she, she was like 14 to one before the tournament, which was just like stupid high. So for me... Her base level on any surface is higher than just about everyone. percent percent of the tour, you know. Yeah. So she, I don't want to make it seem like I has Sabalenka losing. I just think that she's gone untested until the last round, and I didn't love what I saw the last round. Now, it was at night too, which is a big. It's slower conditions at night, um, but. I want to see more from her on slow clay than I have seen. Um, and when I say slow, slow clay, I mean, not Madrid Stuttgart. Um, and um, I don't know. I just, I don't think, you know, she's played five matches. I don't on, on since Rome, since the start of Rome. And she hasn't particularly impressed me at all. Um, that doesn't mean that she won't come out and blow the doors off Svitolina. Um, I would not be, like totally stunned. Um, I would not be totally stunned if she doesn't drop a set till the final. Um, because I really don't see how Mukova, uh, I don't see how uh, Mukova or Pavlyuchenkova beat her either. Um, but okay. yeah, I don't know. I think that's I mean, fair. No, again, Svitolina, like, well, look, Svitolina wins over. Here's the biggest compliment is that Sabalenka has earned that benefit of the doubt. And Svitolina wins over Trevisan and Straits, Kasakina and Straits, three sets over Blinkova and Storm Sanders, respectively. Again, she's won nine consecutive matches now coming into this quarterfinal battle. And I think the big thing for Svitolina is coming off of this two weeks. You look for her now in the live rankings. Svitolina all the way back up to number 73 in the live rankings. She'll get wild cards wherever she wants to go. She won't need them anymore. Uh, for what it's worth, one-to-one career head-to-head. They haven't played since 2020. Both their matches were three-set battles. But obviously, it's a completely different Sabalenka, completely different Svitolina as well. I think Sabalenka wins in straights. I just, as good as Svitolina has been, she's moving well. She's hitting more aggressively out of the corners. It's not beat Sabalenka good aggression. And uh, again, it's been a good draw for Arena. There's no doubt about it. You're right. She hasn't played her best tennis, and yet it hasn't impacted her yet. Svitolina will be ready for this test. She'll make this match uncomfortable. 
I think it's going to be a four and four win for Sabalenka, and I think she starts to play. I think she's going to go down like three love in the second set, and then play lights out to close things out, and then it's going to be like, oh yep, we're headed towards the Iga Sabalenka final we deserve. Yeah, and that's what I had pre-tournament. Um, with that said, yes, I agree. I think the win over Trevisan is underrated. Um, Trevisan is a sure. former last season semifinalist at Roland Garros. She's made the quarterfinals in the past at Roland Garros. She won. Uh, she has looked. She took a set off Jesse Pagula in Rome. I believe it was Rome, or maybe it was Madrid. Uh, one of the two. Even though I don't think. She, anyway, she's she can play high level clay tennis. And Svitolina dismantled her. Um, not that type of power, though, that Sabalenka will be bringing to the table. I think a big thing will just be that patience for Sabalenka, just because I think that was lacking against Steven. She wanted to get this, get the point over with so quickly that she was just maybe going for too much, which I think she had improved on this year, especially in Australia, about that, like, waiting for the right shot as opposed to um, just going full-blown, Mm-hmm. attack mode uh full-blown uh alicia parks uh mode uh but um i'm interested i think this is the much more compelling matchup than the one before to be honest um interesting i think i mean and then there's also the whole geopolitical stuff but we don't need to talk about that yeah well, it's just if we do this podcast will go even longer than it probably should so all right your pick is sabalenka uh my pick is Sabalenka, I think all I'll say is I think she covers the 5.5. All right. And there it is. Svitolina does. Svitolina oh, Okay. Svitolina keeps it close then. I like her close and enough. You that too, right? I don't know if she wins. I think she – it could go uh, to the – Yes, that's what I had from a score prediction. But I do think there's a world where Sabalenka starts to separate and starts to play her best tennis because, again, she hasn't peaked yet. And that's a dangerous thing for the rest of the field. All right. You think this one's going to be quick. Here's what I ask. Let me finish what I'm saying, and then I promise you can explain your case. Iga Svantec, Coco oh Goff, oh. <laughs> Wednesday matchup, exactly. You know where this is headed. I know where this Look, is going. I'll be quiet. The head-to-head is bad. Iga, 6-0 and overall, 12-0 and in sets. They haven't played a set closer than 6-4 since the first time they played, which was a 7-6 opening set to Iga when they played in Rome 2021 Iga Beater in the French Open final last year, one in three. Structurally, everything Coco does, Iga does a little bit better. The heavy topspin of Iga as well into that Coco Golf forehand. It's just a recipe for disaster. All right, before we, again, let's just start with the Iga side of things. You look for okay. Iga Sviantek, just a ho-hum, 32-6 and six overall, 84% win percentage, 55-12 and 12 in her last 52 weeks. She's won over 80% of her matches for 17 consecutive months now, and let's remember she's just turned 22 freaking years old. She is, without question, one of the, prim- you know, I saw the list, it's thirty Three semifinals at Roland Garros in her first four appearances. Her and Monica Seles are the only players to do that. Like, come on now. When that's the list you're on early in your career, you're on pace to do the most special things in women's tennis history. You look for Iga. 4-0, 4-0, 0-0. She's up 5-1 before Serenko retires today. She hasn't been tested in the slightest. And let's be clear, for what it's worth, her two losses during this clay court season, Sabalenka in three, 
Rabakina in three when she has to pull out of the match. But both those matches are still three setters. Yeah, and they're both against the two other best players in the world. So, like, unless you're the best player in the world playing your best, you are not beating Iga Sviantek on clay, which, by the way, is the storyline we expected coming off of a 2022 where she went undefeated in on clay courts. Now, again... The big one of the biggest revelations from the first five months, not one of the biggest, is that Sapolinka and Rabakin are now on the level that their best can be as good as Iga, if not better, on a given day. But I still just think on clay courts, she is unequivocally the player to beat. That unless Rabakin or Sapolinka are playing their absolute best, I just don't think there's anyone else who can beat her. Do you think she's been at that level in this French Open? Like, how good have you seen her through this event? Because the scoreboard, I mean, four bagels, like, come on. Yeah, she should be killing these people, but she is killing them. Yeah, yeah. There's so much to touch on on what you said. I think on slow clay, I 100% agree. She is the best player in the world by far. If she doesn't get injured in that second set tiebreak against Rabakina, she might have still lost that tiebreak, but she was going to – she was definitely winning that match. I have no doubts about it. Um, and then the Sabalenka, again, I know we talked about Madrid. I don't think she loses that match against Sabalenka if they played in Rome, not Madrid. I think the altitude does play a difference um, in that case, in the case like that. Um, and yeah, you're right. She hasn't been tested. The only test for her besides those two matches was when she had was up match point to beat Alexandrova in Madrid in sets and then had to go three to beat her when she kind of choked the second set um besides that i mean yeah pliskova took the first set against her in stuttgart that was a blowout after that um there was there's really no test for her i mean buxa doesn't have the thing to, the way to beat uh sviatek is to rush her like that's what is to is to not allow her to dictate and to rush her. Um, that's what Rabak. That's why these big hitters, Rabak, and even Alexandrova, you know, have the weapons. Uh, Sabalenka have the weapons that you know, in quicker conditions, they can rush her. And that's why I think on grass, Dick's definitely on grass, and maybe even now on hardcore, I I, I do put Rabakina and Sabalenka ahead of Sviatek, but in at the French Open, absolutely not. Um, and so yes, she is. She destroyed Buxa. Um, she, I mean. Claire Lou, I hate on clay. Um, I and she destroyed her. Um, books, um, and then you know, Zin Yu Wong, I was shocked she even made the third round. Good for her. Uh, but honestly, a double bagel is what I almost expect. I expected two games or less, to be honest, given just how uncomfortable Zin Yu typically is on clay. Um, and then Serenko, I mean, gosh, what a thousandth retirement. Like, my God, like she was dominant. Yeah, Sviatek was dominating that match, but and then Serenko for the hundredth time, thousandth time pulled the plug. Um, yeah, so she did exactly what exactly what you said. Exactly what you said is she did what she needed to do. And honestly, I was watching her, you know, closely. I was watching, you know, seeing with closely at the beginning in terms of was that thigh injury from Rome gonna affect her? Um, and I think that that's why. That's partially why my buddy from Action Network, Avery Zimmerman, was saying Coco could be a good play is because that thigh injury theoretically could have hurt Sviatek, but she looks totally fine and she looks ready to win another French Open. Yeah, I mean, she just, 
I've I've said it for the Alcaraz side of things. I don't in the women's game. I don't know on the men's side. In the women's side, there's nothing more dangerous than Iga Swiatek with time on the outside of the court because she can go backhand cross and drive the ball through you. She can go backhand short angle and yank you off the court. She can go backhand line and beat you to the spot. She can go inside out forehand and you're leaving a ball short. She can go inside in forehand and she's roping you off the court. Like there just every play is available to her when she's given time on that ad side. And look, I mean, again, we've seen it. The heavy topspin, the kick serves to the the kick serve to open up court to the plus one forehand into the Coco golf forehand, which she then leaves short and Iga gets an on the rise backhand when Coco tries to leave that ball line. We know what patterns Iga are going to play. We know what an Iga win looks like. Entertain me, David Gertler. <laughs> Entertain me. Coco Goff, 23 overall in the year, reigning French Open finalist. Yes, she's 0-6 against Iga. Yes, she's never won a set. You look for Goff so far this event. She's faced some some adversity. She got through three sets Masarova, straight sets Grabert, uh, three sets Andriva, straight sets Shmidlova. What does an Iga, uh, a Coco Goff upset victory over Iga look like in your mind? A broken leg. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a pull, you could pull it. There's no way. The, the tactically, when you look at the styles, the stylistic contrast, there's absolutely no way, unless unless Coco red, you know, makes eighty percent first serves and red lines on her backhand, and somehow you know Sviatek doesn't take advantage of the slow, high, loopy short balls that Coco provides on her forehand. Um, when we look at her draw, I mean, she beat Masarova to win. That two uh, that in that two fifty earlier this year, uh, um, Masarova took a set, you know. But like at the same time, that this looks like a two fifty draw. I mean, Mira is obviously going to be very, very, very good. She was not ready for the moment. Um, you saw that early in the second set where she was on serve up a set and was, you know, mentally cracking already. Um, you, Kudos to Coco for that. But I mean, come on, Schmidlova in the fourth round. I love Anna Carolina. I love as she plays. Um, that's a dream fourth round, especially for Coco, because she doesn't have the power to uh, you know, cause some issues and rush Coco in that forehand wing. Um, Masarova did for a set, but then she lost patience in the second and third set. Um, and then Julia grab Harris backhand was an absolute train wreck. It's hard to even take anything from that match because her backhand was about as bad as I've ever seen a professional's backhand. Um, so it's been a very, and then I think it's been a very kind draw to Coco. I give her a lot of credit, especially for the Andreeva win. Andreeva win. I thought that that was, I thought that she was very mentally tough. She's a positive um, when she, uh, was down even after that first set. I, I really liked her attitude. I liked, I like how she is. I think she's trying to be a little more aggressive this tournament, which I appreciate as opposed to earlier on in, I would say Rome when even against Buscova, uh, against in Madrid, against Badosa, I thought that she's try, it was in pusher mode a little too much. Um, I think that against anyone besides Sabalenka, she would have a shot. Or Sviatek, if it's anyone but Sabalink and Sviatek would have a shot. But there's no way you can tell me, you know, I thought that she played pretty damn well in Dubai against Sviatek. She won six games. I thought that she p- played pretty damn well. Let's see. She played horribly. In well, the then world. let me make the case then because I want to hear I want to hear how it's. Well, no. Yes. 
much like I said in the Pass alcarez match and our men's preview, structurally it's an impossible matchup for Goff because everything she does, her sliding into the back end, which is elite, the thing is Goff is once in a generation. It's like, uh, excuse me, Shviantek's once in a generation, and it's just like Shviantek's mm-hmm. better at that. Yeah, they both have funky forehand grips, but Shviantek and the heavy topspin she generates is that much more uh, – that much more – exceptional like that much more effective i suppose is probably the word i'm looking for uh than than goff's is and yeah they both hit their spots well on the serve but shiantek hits hers better and she's better at opening things up with her her second forehand she's more effective with it that said goff's first serve is now a weapon you know goff is one of the 10 players top 25 in both hold and break percentage and she's a really good volleyer and she is comfortable taking that swinging volley on the rise and i just think tactically that's the play every time you have Iga stretched and every time you see Iga's grip open she's gonna play a slice you're moving in you're hitting a swinging volley if Iga passes you so be it but you just got to take some rips you just got to take some chances. Become the steady baseline rally. Goff's not beaten Iga at that. that. That's been proven in their first six matches. I think she has gotten better as a server and progressed enough as a volleyer. I mean, she's a top five doubles player in the world. 100 career wins, doubles think- and singles. I think that play is going to be open to her sometimes. Now, the question is... How does she get Shviantek consistently stretched? And how does she get Shviantek to hit a slice in a baseline rally when things are at neutral? That's the freaking question. And outside but, of Alex, the first serve, a really well-executed first serve to set up an, you know, an, a first strike opportunity, it's going to be really hard for Coco Goff. That's why, I mean, that's why Iga's freaking Iga on this surface. I agree. I do think Goff can serve well enough. And is a good good enough as a volleyer to use her speed to be that as the way she hurts Iga to keep this match closer. But no, I agree. I think Iga wins this match in straight sets. Final thoughts on the matchup go to you. Yeah, I mean, well, I hear I have a lot of thoughts, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, mean, I feel like I, you bring out you're bringing up some really interesting points tonight. I have to say, um, the you. first thing is I want to just push back because. All Sviatek has to do is hit the ball to, uh, Co- even when she's in defensive positions, Alec, all she has to do is hit the ball to Coco's forehand and the point's neutral again. But I just disagree because if that ball's left too high and too floaty, Coco's quick enough and a good enough volley to take that ball on the rise and at least force Iga to hit something on the run. And I'm not saying it's going to work every time, but I think that play's available to her now in ways it just wasn't as comfortably early in her career. Now, I agree with you. That's a really tall task. And I said already, I think Iga's winning this match. I think she's going to do it comfortably because structurally she's just better at everything than mm-hmm. Coco Goff, and they have very similar game styles. But I think there are some adjustments that Coco – I mean, she has to explore. You've lost 12 straight sets. She's got to explore something new. I think it's going to be a push forward to the net. That's going to be the adjustment she makes. See, I don't see. It's very interesting to talk about the net play because I agree she is a great doubles player. Um, her and Jesse Pagula are both great doubles players. I don't think that she comes to the. I don't think that her volleys in singles are, are as crisp as you would expect, given what her uh, doubles acumen is. I, I don't just know if I agree. That. I think she hits the overhead so well. Yeah, like, God is her overhead special. 
I, she hangs some. You're right. She hangs it more than you would expect, but she is always in the right place and knows what to do with the first volley, which is seventy five percent of the battle. Do you think she comes in enough? I don't think she does. Well, I think she's going to have to in this match. Whether she, she does big picture, it depends on the matchup. She's stubborn though, Alex. She she's the one who was saying pre-tournament her, her uh, forehand was a weapon. I couldn't believe that. I thought it must be a parody site um, <laughs> because that was so ridiculous. I, I couldn't even believe that. And I and I you know and it is you know and I will say play is her best surface because it gives her time on the forehand to set up and you can't rush her as easily. You know when we saw her in Fort Worth against Biotech, it was a fucking annihilation. I mean, sorry for my language, but I've never yeah, seen a forehand as poor as that. At, in in a big time world tour finals match coco was really struggling with her forehand at the time but then again you know she looked great in in australia until she played ostapenko who was able to just blitz her from the baseline like sviatek and all of a sudden her game came crashing down so for me it's all you know coco is a great player against opposition lower ranked than her against op- or against opposition that less talented opposition no offense to the players she's playing but like you know i would i want to say that to give way to like allow ostapenko you know because i think ostapenko is probably just you can make the argument she's just as talented if not more talented than coco so i'll say against like your masarovas grab of the world smidlovas coco's gonna win almost every time um that's why it was so disturbing that she lost to marie buskova on clay in Rome because that was just like that was not a match that you would expect on clay um for uh Coco to lose but again but I think that her problem is is that her ceiling against the you know against the elite ball strikers is lower much 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 lower and I just I mean I can't see her winning or I she hasn't won more than six games against Viatek since uh let's see since that uh since that match in 2021 in rome um where she's still lost in straight sets but she's won five straight matches without winning more than six games i don't think how she wins more than six games i would say probably four or five is probably the right number what do you think Iga Sviantek, 81.8% favorite over golf DraftKings has Sviantek minus 1400 over golf again I think golf wins. I think it's going to be. Uh, excuse me. I think Sviantek wins. I think it's going to be pretty comfortable. I think straight sets as well. I think this will be the most competitive match though they've played in a year and a half. And so, and I just think it's just because again, what's uh, we've seen? If if it's a seventh consecutive beatdown, I'm writing the rivalry off forever. So we'll leave oh, that match. Don't there. call it a rivalry. This is not a rivalry. Well, this I, is it, Serena Sharapova. No. It, it is a rivalry because these are the two young faces that's going to like the, if if Coco can't figure it out, you're right. That becomes a massive issue for the next decade is does she ever figure out her ego problem? And it's something that, you know, again, you start to game plan around because, you know, you're going to have to go through that every time. But we spent enough time on ego. Wait, Coco. hold on. You think that. You don't think that you play someone six times and you're both 21 or younger and you've already played in the slam final once and both of you are and, clearly going to be in the top 15, if not top 10 of the WTA rankings for next decade and they've already played six times. Yes, it's a rivalry. It is a one-sided rivalry, but it is a rivalry. I, 
I guess we just have different definitions of a rivalry. For me, a rivalry has to be competitive. And this well, is it's one-sided. It's one-sided. I agree. So, and the wait, problem so is, you think Serena Sharapova was a rivalry? And that's once, okay another another one-sided one. Their results defined a generation of results. Like, yep. that's the fact. It, I, so, I just, okay, so we just have different definitions of a rivalry. It's okay. It's totally yeah, fine. No, 100%. Yeah, no, 100%. But, yes, yeah. we do have okay. def- different definitions. But – I wonder if we have different predictions for Haddad Maya Jabur, our final I, quarterfinal I for us not. to trackle, tackle here. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. This is my least interesting of the bunch. For Goff, Sviantic, it is because, again, if Goff can't figure out the Iga problem, it's just the biggest problem for her moving forward in her career. As impressive as Haddad Maya's three-set win was over Cerebez Tormo, as great as it is to have Cerebez Tormo just Cerebez Tormoing it up, Back out on court and healthy once again, and all the three hours that that was three hours fifty one minutes. Yeah, I am so certain on Jabur is just going to kill her tomorrow. Yeah. And you look for Jabur, straight set wins over Bronzetti, Doden, and Para. Three sets over Danilovich again. Pretty comfortable draw to get here. Now Jabur has so many points to defend. Obviously, U.S. Open final, etc. This was her last big opening as she lost first round French Open last year. Credit to her for taking advantage of that, making a quarterfinal run, and just again steadying the ship here in 2023 with these four victories. She's now 15 and six overall, which sounds better probably than her level has actually been. But I mean, look, since we've been on the clay, title in Charleston. Semis in Stuttgart, now obviously quarterfinals here in Roland Garros. Her only loss is Iga by retirement, Bedosa straight sets in Rome. I mean, she's back to her clay court self. She's playing really good ball. And I just think physically, the drop shots, the slices, the on the rise, how uncomfortable she'll make Haddad Maya. It's as simple as that, is that after four hours on court against Cerebez Tormo, yeah, you just face slices. Yeah, you just face drop shots. Now you have to do it all again against someone who actually has enough juice to where if you're leaving things hanging like Haddad Maya did against Cerebus Tormo, she's going to take advantage of it. She's going to take it on the rises, Jabur, and put you away and move forward. And just, I think this match is going to be one-way traffic. Talk to me about how you feel about Jabur's level and where she goes from here. So you want me to start with Jabur? Yeah, give me the Jabur case. Also, we cannot not talk about Speaking of Spiribus Tormo after this, we well, I, we, we can, have, but we've got to talk about the doubles with her because I have thoughts on that too. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> you're like, oh my god, I'm I, this is going to be another marathon, uh, uh, yeah. But anyways, okay, Onstrabor, I was worried about her with the injury coming in. Um, I think that she, it was nice she got a tired uh, Lucia. Bronzetti, who had just had a brutal week before, or a brutal match against Julia Grabair in Rabat the week before to win that title. Um, it was nice because Bronzetti did not, does not have the weapons to hit through her. And then she got uh, Dodin in the second round, who is in her extremely erratic. So it was nice for her to kind of ease into the tournament a little bit. Um, Danilovic is going to be a name that you'll be hearing about. I'll be hearing about it. We'll all be hearing about for a a while. Um, a very talented young lefty, um, especially good on clay where she has time to set up on her forehand, on her lefty forehand. Um, that was a war from the baseline. That was a really good match. Uh, um, I think that uh, it was a sneaky good one. I know she's outside the top 100. I don't think she still will be after this tournament, but that was a really good win for owns um, Jabor. And so I Thought that uh, Para could be much more competitive. Bernard Bernie is just so um, 
you know, one day she's hot, one day she's cold. Uh, Owens caught her on a cold day and she did what a top player does. She took advantage. Um, and I give her full credit for that. Um, in terms of how this is going to play out, you mentioned, I, I think that, um, yeah, Jabor will drag Kademaya around the court with her variety, with her drop shots, with her angles, with her, you know, she's going to force Kademaya to um, bend down low for those slices and, and when uh, I thought that Bia left a lot of ball short today against Sarah, Sarah against Sarita, Sarita. Um, but I thought that Sarita did not take good advantage of that. Owns well, um, and Owns will get a lot more from her serve, and she won't uh, be as. I I thought that actually, I thought Sariba's Tormo played a bad match today. Not to transition to the next one, I did not think Sariba's Tormo. I you could tell she still had not fully got back from an injury break yet from her injury stop. I thought that Hadamaya was able to take advantage of a lot of short balls to her forehand. I thought that Cerebus Tormer, when she's playing well, hits with much more depth than that. And I, I think she's, I think that Cerebus Tormer made some error, unforced errors in crucial moments that we typically don't see. Jabor is not going to give Hadamaya the short Ball. She's not going to let her get away with the mental lapses that we saw throughout that match with Cerebus Tormo. And you were talking about Pavlina Jankova with the physical part of, you know, how she might be physically feeling it. I think that, and you kind of touched on this after the 6061 in Tatiana in, with uh, Tatiana, Tatiana Maria in the first round, your college girl, Diana Schneider, Schneider uh, really pushed Hada and Maya over two and a half hours in the first set. I mean, over three sets. And then she almost three hours against Alexandrova, where she had to save a set point. I thought her backhand, Hada Maya's backhand. I just transitioned to Hada and Maya, didn't I? Is that okay? Um, yeah, I mean, please, by all means, because I do think the argument again for Jabir is pretty clear. For Haddad Maya, the lefty, for what it's worth, again, 0-2 in her career against Jabir, but how she gets to this, the three-set win over Cerebes Tormo, three sets her last three rounds, she beats Alexandrova Schneider in three sets, then the straight set win over Tatiana Marie in round one. Yeah, what's it look like, a, a Haddad Maya, a Maya victory? I think that she has to uh, do what she was doing at times in the second set when she was down a double break to Sherebus uh, Torma, just red line on the forehand. Um, and I think because I think that her backhand is not, not looking good, to be honest. I think that I thought it looked poor against Alexandrova. I thought it was shaky again today. I think that um, Jabor will take good advantage of that. She'll get more balls than Sherebus Torma did on the backhand. Um, I think that she will... Uh, then be able to open up court when she's pinned over in the back end to the forehand wing and surprise her. Um, I thought I don't, and I just don't think that I don't see a path to victory for Hadamaya just because of, of the physicality of the past three rounds, um, especially this one against Rebus Tormout. It went almost four hours. You could feel it also, it's not just the physical energy, the emotional energy energy that had I put into the past two rounds against Alexandrova saving that match point after being up a double break in the third set, you know, today, you know, coming back from, we talked about Sloan Stevens had that letdown, that dip after expending all that energy to come back in the first set. I can't imagine. I just can't see a scenario where it's close. And, you know, you know, Bia, I have my issues with her because I love, I generally love South American players, but I have my issues with Bia specifically because she's a dope, she's a doper. Um, but, you know, she is playing, or for, excuse me, a past doper, but, you know, she's playing really well. 
Um, I think I, I don't excuse me. She's not playing really well, but she's playing really gritty, tough, hard nosed tennis. And I just think that Jabor has too many weapons, too much ability to test those legs. And I just, you know, I think she's got to land a lot, a lot of first serves. What, what's your path to victory for Ademaya? It depends how fit she is. I think that slice serve out wide first forehand to the open court, if yeah. you can do that well enough, Jabir will offer you slices up that you can just continue to be aggressive and continue to pound away. And again, if this was the Pavlochenkova matchup, I actually think this would be one that Pavlochenkova wouldn't hate because of how her weapons can kind of blitz through the slices of uh, of a on Jabir. But oh, so you're saying you mean the opposite that Jabir wouldn't like it. Oh yeah, excuse me. That that Pavlochenkova would exactly. I agree. Yes, yes, I agree. yes. Um, but that's not Hadad Maya. She's more topspin. She wants to open you up to the outer third, and she wants to, um, you know, again have that ability to find the down the lines and to get you stretched. And she loves that slice serve out wide on the ad side. And I do think that play in particular can be successful for her against against uh, excuse me Jabir tomorrow or two days from now, but. At the same time, it's just, again, there were a lot of times where a slice by Sarah Saribes-Tormo, Haddad Maia didn't step into the baseline. She didn't try to take that ball earlier. She offered another hanging ball back to Saribes-Tormo, yeah. is much more content to grind than Anjabur will be. And so, again, that's why I just think structurally Haddad Maia has to be more aggressive. The first chance she gets, she's got to take a big rip into the open space. She's a very good volleyer, and so she will have opportunities yeah. to volley into the open court against Jabir with some of those hanging slices. Can she be aggra- that aggressive, that consistently? I don't think so. I think this match goes three. I think Jabir gets you think, three. Oh, you think? How did I get a set? Yeah, I just everything's been straight sets in my predictions thus far. I don't like that. So I think this is the one that does get a little bit funky, but I just think in the end, Jabir has more legs left, and she gets through like 6-2 in the third. Okay, interesting. I Because I, I, I guess I have the Pavlyuchenko match going three. Okay. Well, you, what's your prediction for this one? You're going Owens? I think it's going to be very straightforward. I think both of these. That's why I'm saying I think that tomorrow's matches are going to be much more exciting than the one, than the, you know, Sviatek, I have blitzing golf, and I, I think Jabor probably wins uh, three and two. All right. I, 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 I don't hate four. that. I, don't, I think that's very much in the range of possible outcomes, both three and two and three and four. I think it's going to be a good match from a quality of play. I just wonder how long that quality of play will be sustained throughout the course of this one. And so, all right, Eileen Jabur. That said, folks, those are your four quarterfinals. Those are our predictions for all of them. I know you want to talk about the doubles. I'm going to save that till post-tournament because we got a bunch of funky storylines that we haven't addressed yet that I want to. For now, I want to focus on the tennis. So we'll leave that there for now. That said, one player, who's winning this tournament? Give me your title prediction. For me, I've seen – I said Iga before the tournament. I've seen nothing from Iga that would change my mind. All right. I like it. Well, with anything else – by the way, what what else you got writing for us? What what pieces can we expect? Um, So I should have some more um, – I should have something for – so I'm not going to do I, – I did Svitolina and Pavlyuchenkova matches uh, for tomorrow. I, I'm not uh, – my good – my – Friend and colleague John Reed will do the uh, Jabor and and Sviatek matches, uh, but then I should be back for one of the two semifinals, and then my thoughts on the final for the women's. Um, and then yeah, maybe I'll fire up my blog again. I I always am texting you 
you're like, I, I'm happy to write for y'all too. Like I can uh, do that. Um, please feel free. Like if you have like, especially something, you know, clay or women's tennis, I, I am happy to write about that. Unfortunately, we're heading to the grass season. Um, so so well so you're excited to write about that now as well no i'm glad to hear you're rolling and i always appreciate you of course taking it's nice to have you back in pro tennis oh Uh, thank you it's you know how to butter me up and obviously again we will have you more with our back everything that happens this summer again with more summer tennis comes more david gertler here on our cracked racket shows that said as always a shout out to you a shout out to our super producer daniel westoff for the editing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible of course a massive shout out and thank you as well to our dear friends at tennis point tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with all of that said for my fantastic guest David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? It's amazing. I don't even need to write it down anymore. That's the break. That's what I love to hear most, and it is always a pleasure to have you, my friend. Be safe, be healthy. We will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, and thank Daniel, and I really do appreciate it. Like, I know that there's a lot of work behind the scenes that goes into this. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you as always, David. Bye.